0: Man, man, guys, would you grab a Bible? Uh, today, we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter six. Hopefully, you brought a Bible with you, and if you did, would you open it up and join us as Sunday mornings, we're making our way through this section. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles around you. and shares nearby, page number on the screen, you can join us in those. If you need to use an electronic device or want to, you can do that as well. One way or the other, we're inviting you to be with us in the word of God. You guys in the overflow and joining us online as well, same invitation. Hey, we're so glad to spend this time with you. Please open up a Bible with us so that it would be God's Word that would speak into you this morning, and it would be that which you hear. So Sunday mornings, we're working through Ephesians 6. This section specifically that deals with this place where God is calling you and I to be strong in the midst of spiritual warfare, strength that would be in him, or sometimes known as the section of scripture that talks about the armor of God. And so certainly that's what we want to talk about even today. And I just long that God would speak to you. So let's take a moment. We do this almost each time before we we start into a Bible study. We're just going to take a moment one more time to pray. And I'm going to pray, but I'm hoping you would as well. And just ask that God would speak to you, that you would hear from him today what he would want you to hear from his spirit. So I'll lead and hopefully you'll be praying as well. God, thank you for this moment. Thank you that we get to have this and this freedom that is ours to step into this. Thank you for both the gift of this time, but just thinking about where we are right now, approaching your word. Thank you that you have given it to us, that you tell us that your word is alive, And it's powerful. It's sharper than any two edged sword. God, it's able to do a work, not just on the outside of us, but deep in the core of who we are, to the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And I love that. God, we need that. For you to do a transforming work that changes us from the inside out by the power of the Word of God, by the work of the Spirit of God. So, Lord, right now we're just asking, please, in this moment, would you help us to hear? Would you take truth and just communicate it to us in a way that both is tangible but actionable and just at work in our lives by your good work. Give us ears to hear what you have for each one of us in this moment. I ask for that right now and we ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it was the Battle of Jutland in World War I. Some of you may be, you know, kind of World War I history buffs or whatever, you might know it better than I, but Admiral Lord Beatty was in command of a flotilla of ships that were just resisting uh, you know, the German ships that were coming across, and they began to engage in, in, a, in a battle that really was one of the first naval battles in this space. Long-range artillery shells you know, flying back and forth, but it quickly became apparent that something was wrong. At first, a heavy cruiser, the Lion, was hit by an artillery barrage and sunk quickly. Right afterward, the Indefatigable was, was hit with a powder magazine, and it was blown to pieces. Then the Queen Mary uh, was hit, was sunk, taking a crew of 1,200 sailors straight to the bottom. Watching ship after ship go down quickly, uh, Admiral Beatty turned to his bridge officer and with kind of a characteristic restraint for him, said, there seems to be something wrong with our ships today. Uh, you know, kind of looking at this whole thing, long just as they began to figure out what was wrong, the, the ships, they ter- you know, they fought, they turned back the German fleet, but it was discovered that there was a flaw in their design, that they had heavily armored hulls, but wood decks. And as the artillery barrages were coming in in an aerial barrage and coming straight down on the ships, it was penetrating straight through the wood decks and destroying the ships in instants. You know, right, right away. And the only, only when they have kind of figured out where their vulnerability was, they began to change the design of the ships, putting armor plating, not just on the sides, but on the tops to be able to resist the battle that was coming. And that began to turn the tail of the, of the, of the naval battles. Well, I draw that silly story to just a kind of a picture for you because it rightly pictures something we want to talk about today. God is calling you and I to be just to have strength, to be armored, if you will, against the attacks of, of what Satan would work in our world and our time. And he's calling you and I to put on the whole armor of God. And I want you just to begin by hearing that idea of the whole armor, not just some of it, not just parts of it. But in one sense, we need all that God would provide for us because if we're only kind of protected, you know, in some spaces but vulnerable in others, that weak link becomes our weak space. And so he's calling us to be that, calling us to step into that and through that that we can stand. Well, that's what we want to talk about, and so if you've got your Bibles open, go there with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Let's begin in verse 10, reading a little bit of the context, things that we talked about last week, and then we'll dive into verse 14, or quite honestly, only a part of verse 14 this morning, as we want to see what God has for us. It says in verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, and in the power of His might, put on the whole armor of God to stand. Verse 14, stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Yeah, that's where we're going to dive in this morning, but I want to again just kind of help you feel a little bit of the context. We've titled this series, Be Strong in the Lord. The idea taken from that first part of it, that God is calling us to a strength that is his strength, a a strength that would be there with us. And he lets us know that in the midst of a very real and spiritual war that he's calling you and I to put on the whole armor of God. And if we do that, that we can stand against anything and everything that Satan would have. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week. And so if you missed that, you might want to go back into it. But we talked about that this is a real spiritual war, that we have an enemy known as the devil and his forces that are really behind the scenes in things in our world. He says our real battle isn't against people. It's not flesh and blood. It's spiritual hosts of wickedness in these heavenly places, and that battle is affecting our world. That battle is touching our lives, and it's one that we're involved in, each and every one of us. But one of the things I wanted to say throughout this entire series that we spoke again about last week is if I can communicate this well, and if God will help me put words to what I think he's putting within my heart to say, then it's going to be kind of a communication of hope that to hear what God tells us in this is not a place that makes us feel fearful or you know just, you know wow, I don't have any hope against that, but he tells us, you can stand. In fact, he says it in the verses that we covered last week three times, and he begins verse 14 saying the same thing, a fourth time, hey, stand. Like, you can stand. Like, this doesn't have to be that which knocks you down. It doesn't have to be that which knocks you out. If you would stand in what God has for you, you can stand. That's exciting. I mean, honestly, it's meant to be. That's hopeful in a way that I long that God would meet us and helping us understand it. So with that hope, we want to gaze into this thing that is titled for us or given to us, the idea of the whole armor of God. Just catching it again, verse 13, for a tiny bit of context. Therefore, take up the whole, notice, armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Okay, so he begins to unpack this for us, and he begins to help you, and I view this thing that's called the armor of God in this section, and he's going to help us see seven things that really are kind of pictured for us as the armor of God. Seven realities that is God's strength into our lives that we desperately need. Now, today we're only going to tackle the first one, but I want you just to kind of begin looking at what's in the midst of this. And before we even begin to look at that first bit of God's supply that would give us strength, I want you to notice terms that help us understand kind of some breakouts of this section that he's going to tell us in the first three things that these are things that we are to have. And the second section is things that we are taking. And the last one is one that we are to always kind of work in the midst of this. In other words, there really is kind of a, uh, just a, a different perspective in each one of these. And some of that becomes incredibly helpful. There are things that the, the last one, again, is the always. that's almost the way that you work all of these things. We're going to talk about things that we take up. And that has the idea of when you recognize you're in the midst of a spiritual battle or he just called it the evil day, that there are spaces and places where okay, Satan is really working. There are things that you in that moment are to take up. But there are three things that he tells us you're to always have. These are not things that you, you know, kind of are meant to move back and forth. There are things that are meant to be always. And again, I just want you to think about that because I like this idea of having, and I want to let you know that as he describes these three things, these are things that can be always present in your life, that you can have and should have these all the time with God. Not in the sense that they move, come back and forth, but they're meant to be things that are solid spaces in our life. Might even say it differently, that if you wait to pick up these three things till you kind of feel like you're in the midst of a spiritual battle, they'll probably be too late. Like these are not things that you can access that quickly. They have become things that need to be present and can be present consistently and always in your life. These are things that are meant to be all that way. So if you could almost imagine it, if you can, can have a good imagination, you'd almost gaze on this battlefield and you'd see soldiers. And there are times when the battle is not you know, engaging. I mean, you're, you're, you're there in camp, you're kind of ready for it. There are things that you should just always have because you have no idea when the battle's gonna come. But when the battle sounds and the horn blows, there are things that you immediately take up. But these are the, the first ones are the things that we want to say, okay, these are the things that we're to always have. And that's one that he draws us into, places where he's going to invite us to see what they are. So the first one, again, is there in verse 14. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth it might help just to imagine it for a moment. It is probably likely that Paul is even writing this as he's chained to a Roman soldier. So it's probably interesting that for some of this is a visual reality for him. That said, actually, almost all of these things are references out of the Old Testament, that they become strengths that were always meant to strengthen God's people. So it's not just kind of a a visual picture there, but a sense of God's strength. This first one where he tells us to gird our waist, it might just be worth noting, he doesn't actually use the term belt. (laughs) It's not a big deal, but it's, it's kind of funny, but so often when people think about the armor of God, they'll talk about the belt of truth. But he doesn't actually ever use that term. He just says we're girded with truth. And if you were to look at a Roman soldier, that which kind of girds his waist, it is a belt, but it's a whole armor that kind of protects him, that kind of girds up his entire armor in the midst of his waist and, and everything that would be there. So there's a sense of just gazing and thinking, okay, this is truth that is meant to protect us, watching over everything that we are. So with that, how does that work? What is he asking us to do? Well, can I give it to you simply? And then we'll spend time talking about what it is and how to do it. What does it mean to gird your life with truth? Well, I believe strongly, and again, I'm going to present it to you this morning, that what God is talking to you and I about is that we are meant to be girded with the Word of God, that the Word of God is that which is the truth that guides and guards and protects our lives. And it is meant to be that solid thing. Now, again, that's what we want to talk about. We want to talk about how that works and why. But I want to just begin by just quickly pausing and addressing a couple of things. And I do this because some of you, this is new territory. You're like, man, I just I, I never really thought this through. And I hope this is helpful this morning. Others, this is a common section. And because it is so, sometimes there are different ways that people see this, and I want to let you know that good Bible students disagree about some of these things, disagree about even what each reference talks about, and I'm going to tell you what I think and where I am, but I'm also going to give you just great latitude and say, hey, not everybody agrees with that, and if you see it in a different way, um, that would be you know, understandable, and, you know, and, and even you'd find yourself in good company and definitely not in a, in a bad place. So I'm going to tell you, I think that truth is the word of God. But some people struggle with that, struggle with, no, i wondering what that is. And here's a couple of things that people think. For starters, some would say, well, Pastor Jim, isn't the sword the word of God? And it talks about the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, and indeed it is. But Interesting enough, it's different. Um, The term that's used there for word of God, we'll talk about it then, is not the term that speaks about the comprehensive word of God. It's not the logos would be the Greek word that's used in that. It's the rhema, which would speak about a very specific word or a promise from God. In fact, if you wanted to imagine it, it actually works really, really well. It almost is this place that you would see a soldier, just his belt on and his his sword in his belt. And in the moment of battle, he's able to draw specific promises out of the things that are there. But the truth is that which girds him. In fact, there are a sense that these are two different things in the midst of it. One of the things we're to always have other things that we're always to take up. So for starters, there's not a conflict of interest. There's not a place where I thought that was the word and this isn't. I think there is a sense of seeing the power of the word of God in our life in two different ways. Well, maybe that's a help to begin with, but let me just go straight at it. Some would say, hey, Jim, i do not sure that this is the Bible that's being talked about when we talk about truth. What would it be if it was not that? Well, then it would be talking about truthfulness or integrity, And so some would say that the armor of God, that truth is us being a truthful people, that we're meant to be a people of integrity. Now, I just wanna pause and say, you should do that. Like We should totally be a people of integrity. There is no doubt that the Bible calls you and I to, to be a people who keep our word where Jesus would say, hey, let your yes be yes and your no be no, everything else is of the evil one, that we are meant to be a people of integrity, that that's meant to be a part of our lives, and there's no doubt that that would be helpful in the dark age that we live. But I'm just gonna tell you right now, and I recognize in some ways, I'm not gonna spend a whole lot more time on this because if you kind of are there, you're probably solid there, and that's fine. But I tell you, I don't think this is what's talking about for three quick reasons. The first is if God's calling us to be armored with our integrity, can I just be honest with you? That's not gonna be very solid. I mean, I don't know how to say this in a nicer way, but I don't know about you. I mean, I just have, have come to find out what the Bible says is true, is that in myself, there is great weakness. Paul would describe it in Romans 7, where he says, "Why do I, the things I don't wanna do, I do the things I, I do wanna do, I don't. Or he'd say it in Galatians 6, You know, there's this battle between the flesh and the spirit that keeps me from being the person that I want to be. Simply put, if your integrity has to be your honor, I mean, it has to be the, the, the thing that protects you. I kind of have this picture of, well, that's about as strong as like a wet paper towel. I mean, it's like, well, that's not going to be much armor. I mean, you could, you could penetrate that thing pretty easily. I mean, there's not great strength there. Not that we shouldn't get there, but to rely on ourselves in that sense becomes, well, a weak link in our lives. On top of it, when he uses the term here, he tells us this is something that we are to have past tense that this isn't something that we are to be trying to do in the future. He says, you are to have this. This is to be solid in your life all the time. And again, it's not to say, okay, we'll try to be someone that keeps their word tomorrow. It's something that you always have. But thirdly, it's really God's strength. If it's your integrity that is your armor, then it's kind of your strength. Oh, we would say, well, you know, anything I have only comes from God, and that's true. But it really still relies on us and who we are. And I'm trying to draw you to an understanding that what he's telling us in this thing is it's not you that you need, it's him. Be strong in the power of the Lord. Be strong in the strength that is God's. And I just wanna tell you, I think that strength that he's inviting you and I to is the strength and the power of the sol- just the solid space of the word of God. Think about it this way. I like how it gives it to us in the book of Psalms, where it simply tells it to us this way. It says, the entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. It's like that. Just a well-said, just kind of articulates verses that are found all the way through the Bible that simply says, from cover to cover, this is the truth. The entirety of God's word, when you think about truth, it's found here that this is what we desperately need. In fact, when Jesus was praying for us in John 17, he said it this way. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. He looked at us and thought about the world that you and I are facing. He says, God, they're gonna need help. They're gonna need you to sanctify them. They need this book. <laughs> they need this book to be that which would rescue them. And think about it this way. In John 8, when Jesus was talking to the disciples, he said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Of all the verses we'll think about this morning, maybe this is one of the most helpful, or the one that defines everything that I'm trying to tell you. Jesus looks at his, his disciples, his followers, those who are believers, and he says, if you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples, or you are my disciples indeed. Or we might say this in a more kind of common, you know, language. We might say, hey, that's really living the Christian life out. That's really living Christianity is if you stick to the word of God, if you hold fast to the word of God, if you abide in the word of God, he says, then you're really living this thing out and you'll know it. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free that this book, this word that works into our lives, it brings freedom. It rescues us. It rescues us from so much that's happening around us, and this is what he's holding out to you and I. He's inviting us to that. He's inviting us to the place of his truth. Now, as we're processing that, let me press in just very quickly, just a little bit further. It's not just his book generically. It's his book that really is about Jesus. I like it in John when he says it to us this way in a well-known verse. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In one of the most just incredibly definitive statements, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth. Yeah, the truth is Jesus. What is truth? Truth is Jesus. But can I tell you, the point of that is that he is that, and the point of this book is he is that. Jesus would tell the Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures, and them you think you have life these are that which testify of me. Or the book of Revelation would say that the very spirit of prophecy is Jesus. So the book is about Jesus. I mean, this book is Christ-focused. It's the word of God given to us that is centered in Christ. And so if we wanted to ask the question, what is truth? We'd say it's the Bible. It's the Bible that is Christ-focused, Christ-drawing, Christ, you know, just dependent, drawing us our lives. That's the point of it, and that's what we need. And as you process that through, think about it another way. When Jesus was having a conversation with Pilate on the day that he was going to be crucified, Pilate said to him, are you a king then? They had been, they, that's the accusation that had been brought up against Jesus, that he was making himself to be a king. And Jesus answered Pilate and said, you rightly say that I'm a king. I am a king. But then he goes on to say, but my kingdom, it's not this world. If it was of this world, my servants would fight, but this is not my kingdom. And he goes on to simply say it this way. He says, for this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus says, I came into this world for truth. I came in to, to, to bring truth into this world. And everybody who is of truth, they're going to hear me. <laughs> that, that place of what truth is and where that's going to go, that's so desperately what we need. Pilate answers in, well, in a well-known phrase where he just simply said to Jesus, what is truth? And in many ways, that becomes almost one of the cries of mankind throughout this time. Like, how, where is that? Where do we really find that? And yet, what we're wanting to understand is that is this, that God is inviting you and I to a space where we would be made strong in the Lord by holding fast to His truth. So why? Why, why is this so needed in this spiritual war? Well, maybe one of those simple understandings is that the devil, he's a liar. One of the reasons why truth becomes so essential in this spiritual battle is to recognize who Satan is and what he does, and he's a liar. I think about it in that passage in John 8. Jesus would say it this way. He says, the devil does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar, and he's the father of it. He's the source of lies. Wow. Well, this is pretty profound. Again, it helps us understand what Satan is and how he's working, but quickly understand the context. I mean, it's interesting because the verse that we just talked about is just a couple of phrases before this, where Jesus was telling his disciples, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. He says, You need this book. You need this truth because this gives you freedom. But the devil, he's a liar. The devil, he's a liar. He says, he doesn't stand in the truth. There is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks it from his own resources, for he is a liar and he's the father of it. He's the one that brings in lies that permeate and that becomes his tactic that works into our world and against you. So what's so needed is us to recognize that that's how he works. In fact, it might just be helpful to watch it happen in one instance. In fact, it's the very first one. The very first you know, place where we see Satan at work in Scripture and we see the very first temptation and the first destruction there in Adam and Eve, you get the passage there in Genesis chapter 3 where it says, now the serpent, and that's a reference to Satan. It's a term that describes him in that section. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So Satan begins to speak into this, and it's worth just noting he has this conversation with Eve, and he just begins to question, is that really what God said? I mean, did God really tell you that you couldn't have, and he kind of misrepresents it a little bit, but again, it's a questioning statement that questions the validity of what God had already spoken to Adam and Eve. And having kind of created that atmosphere, he then goes in for the kill. And it says, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For even had told him, it says, like if we eat of the, the tree of the, in the midst of the garden, of Eden, that's gonna bring about death, which it indeed did. Spiritual death, death that affects our world. But Satan says, nah, it's not gonna happen. Wait, what God, you know? I, he's contradicting what God has told us in his word. He's saying the very opposite thing to what God has been saying. So that's what we need to understand, that we face a devil who's a liar, that he's the father of lies, and his practice from the beginning has been to question God's truth and to contradict it. So it would make perfect sense that we'd recognize if Satan is at work in our world, and he's our adversary that's seeking to bring about harm, he's still doing the same thing that he's lying, that he's kind of creating confusion by bringing in these questions and contradictions. And so it would draw us to be a place of seeing the great need of God's truth. Now, I can just tell you that is just certainly true and it's certainly a part of it, but let's just bring it into this moment. Because I want to tell you it's an interesting thing if you can gaze on this with me and understand this isn't some kind of like esoteric battle that, you know, it's philosophical and it's not really a part of our, our world. If you could see this battle for truth, you would recognize it's the key battle in our day. It's one of the things that's taking place, and it's right for us, even on this Independence Day here for our nation, to recognize what's at stake in so many ways is what truth is. Let's just think through some of the issues, not all of them, but I mean, I think about things like marriage, like what is marriage and and what defines that, or divorce, How does that work, or where is that right, wrong? Who gets to say what that is? Or we think about things like gender, like who decides what what gender is and and how that works, or homosexuality, or transsexuality. I mean, key issues that are in our news every single day that's a part of our world. Or we could go even larger. We could talk about how, and if there is life after death and how that works, Or even just talk about it just in a very personal way and talking about things like identity. Now, here's what I just want to quickly have you understand with me. If you could grab it with me, you would understand, like, these are the key issues of our day. These are things that are defining our world. They're defining our culture. They're defining how people live their lives. They're the things that people are wrestling with. And you probably, in one way or another, are wrestling with. But the issue is that what God is calling you is, in you know, I do a place is where we would recognize who gets to decide, who gets to set a standard, who gets to tell us what's right and wrong, who gets to tell us what's true and not true. Now, again, I think about all these issues and they can be kind of hot button topics. Let's just go to the last one for a moment because in so many ways, it's the most personal. Who gets to decide who you are? Who gets to decide your identity? You know, we opened up with a song that I'd asked Pastor Phil to kind of lead us in this morning. And and I think about that one that just in that sense, we were saying, I am who God says I am. That the place that God is inviting you and I into a place is to say, so who gets to decide? I mean, who gets to tell me who I am? Who gets to define my identity? And the idea behind that song and behind what I'm saying right now, it should be the place that's like, God, you get to decide. You tell me who I am you define who that is. Not my culture, not even my own opinion. See, I think about it for some. I mean, you could be here and some people, you you struggle with a sense of maybe self-worth or you struggle with identity. And sometimes you feel like, man, my life is a waste. Like I'm pointless. I'm not even sure God knows me, but I'm just going to tell you, if you believed the word of God, you would know. If you're a child of God, he knows you. In fact, Jesus would say, I know my sheep. I know them by name. I know every one of them. I chose them before time began. They, they're not an accident. Your life isn't an accident. If you look at your world and think, well, I just feel like nothing's gonna go well, everything's turning out badly. But then the Bible would tell you, no, actually everything's working together for good. I mean, where's gonna be the basis of truth in your life to recognize that you're a child of God, that your identity's in Him, and a and hundred things that kind of define who you are. Without going into all of those things, the point is, the place of authority is not meant to be your opinion. It's not meant to be the world or how you feel. The place of authority is like, whether I believe it or not, God says it. <laughs> I mean, God defines that. He gets to tell me, and, 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 and that's reality. That's solid, whether I believe it or don't believe it, whether I feel it or don't feel it. Truth is Truth. And I want to tell you there's a freedom, there's a power that becomes that just in our lives when we could kind of head into these issues and say, okay, when we think about any of them, there's a place where we should be recognizing just the power and the authority of truth. So let's circle around and come at it a different way. Let's put it on kind of a scale. If you were to say, okay, I want to locate your life on what I'm going to call a truth scale. Now, this is probably overly simplistic, And it's personal. I'm not asking you to answer out loud or to tell me later. It's between you and God. But if we were to give a truth scale and say we were to do something like, okay, on one end of the truth, it would be a place of saying, you know, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And maybe that's not even strong enough. Maybe it should just be, you know, God said it. That settles it. And I need to believe it. But whether I believe it or not, truth is truth. I mean, when he says it, that is solid. That's everything. But then you'd move down the scale a little bit and you'd find some that would say, well, God said it. And if I understand and agree, then that's truth. Truth is as long as I can understand why and, and agree with what it is, but if I don't get it, then it's not true. I mean, because true has to be my perception of that. More on that in a moment. Some would say, well, no, it's not really me. It's, it's determined by, by our culture, it's determined by our world. Whatever is kind of consensus believed as truth, that's truth. That you know the the the, just kind of the democratic process, if you will. Hey, we get to say, hey, this is truth because most people agree on that, or we go all the way to the end of it and we kind of say what Pilate said: What is truth? There is no truth. Everything's relative. Everything is you know, kind of just dependent on who you are and, and where you are. Now, again, that's not a perfect kind of truth scale, but again, I want to ask you to try to locate yourself on it. Now, before we go further, let's back up just for a moment, because if I don't say this well, it's both going to be confusing, maybe create condemnation, but maybe even a lack of honesty. Here's what I need you to understand. I'm not asking you to decide if you're a Christian or not, but depending on where you are on this scale, Nothing in this determines the nature of whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. The Bible's really clear. You know, to believe a God in Jesus this is what brings us to salvation. It's by grace through faith that not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. And I'm just gonna tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have believed upon him, then, then, then that makes you eternally saved and that's what rescues your soul. Or to say it differently, there is not gonna be a theology test at heaven's entrance that you have to pass, and if you don't pass it, you don't get in. I mean, sometimes that's kind of how we would It's like, man, if you don't get this right, God's not gonna let me into heaven. You know, like, if I, if I miss this up, I just wanna tell you, we're probably all messing up so many things, and it's not that. So I'm not here questioning the nature of your salvation if you're saved. I am gonna tell you, if, you need, if you're not saved, you need him. But I'm gonna tell you, it's probably true that there are Christians in this room, watching online, that find themselves in many of these places or somewhere along it. Again, for some reason, some are all the way at the place of just being relative, maybe their own personal experiences, maybe failures, maybe confusion, even over just knowing what God's word is, and like, well, you know, if it's true for me, it works for me, it doesn't have to be true for you, and so there are some that kind of live their life that way, like, hey, Christianity works for me, but hey, if it's not yours, you're fine, it's not really having to be your truth, but that's a scary space, because that's not authoritative, that's not rescuing, it's not that. Others, again, are in a place, and more than maybe would like to admit, kind of go with the the flow of whatever most people say is true is true. I mean, I just, I kind of go with the crowd. I kind of go with what most people feel, and that's my basis of truth. But maybe the most scary is the one who recognizes God does speak, but bases their truth on their understanding. The kind of person who would say, well, God said it, but if I agree and I understand it, then it's truth. Then that's truth because I understand it. But if I don't agree or I don't understand it, it's not truth yet, you know, because I don't believe that, you know. And the scary part about this is it kind of gets everything juxtaposed in our life in a bad way so that if we can put it in a different way, you become the arbiter of truth instead of the word of God being the arbiter of truth, you really begin to put yourself in the place of God and and over it, and it becomes an incredibly dangerous place, a place that can create confusion, and maybe that's our point this morning. You're not talking about proving whether you're a Christian or, but I'm talking about rescuing you from Satan, rescuing you from Satan's lies and deceptions. And I'm inviting you into a space where you would recognize the power of the word of God, where you would come into a place of saying, okay, it is, it's God's word. That is the, 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 the place of truth, the bedrock of truth, the thing that we need. And that should be where I go. Now, maybe you're there this morning, although we're kind of honest, most of us are pursuing that or needing to pursue that or needing to grow and that and that's really the point of this morning. That I'm inviting you to a place that you would gird up your life with truth, that you would be rescued from these things because anything less than this creates a space where the armor's lacking. We're like those British ships that I told you at the beginning. You find yourself vulnerable to Satan's attacks. But if you can come to the place of recognizing and believing God's truth, I just want to tell you there's a strength in your life. So let's just be practical about this for a couple of moments. How do we do that? If we, if, if we want to be a people who believe, who are girded with truth in their life, what would that look like? Well, I'm going to give you just a few things, and probably more you maybe add to it. But I just want to give you a few things, and I want to begin with kind of what we've already been referring to, but just let's say it this way, that you would be one who esteems it, who esteems God's word as truth, that you would be captivated by it. And I use those words specifically, and they're taken out of a man's lips that most of you would know, Martin Luther. Yeah, in the early 1500s, he comes on the scene. He becomes one that was greatly used in the Protestant Reformation, a place where turning people you know, back to walking with God and a lot of confusion that had come into the world. Again, if you don't know the whole story, it's worth pursuing it some time. But he comes on the scene kind of calling people, recognizing through the authority of the Bible that we're saved by grace that God, that it's through faith, through grace, it's not works, it's not what we do that earns us salvation. He recognizes the authority of that from the power of the Word of God, and it was a confusing time in his generation. For honestly, many people saw it differently, that the way they saw themselves rescued from their sin was through church attendance, but even through giving. I mean, there was a whole place that basically you showed up at church and you bought, paid for with, with your money, Forgiveness to sins. It is a really confusing space in church history, which we could spend more time on, but I just want you to understand, he stands up and says, no, that's that's not it. And the authority of that for him was the word of God. He gets arrested. He gets arrested and tried uh, for his beliefs. And in his trial, they demand for him to recant. To say, hey, you need to turn from what you believe in. You need to embrace that which is the modern understanding or kind of the consensus understanding of where everybody is, demanding him to turn from the truth of that. And he says it so well. He simply reasoned with him. He says, unless I'm convinced by the testimony of the Holy Scriptures and plain reason. He says, unless you can show me in the Bible. And, and it's just clearly there, not some kind of weird application of it. But the idea he's telling, unless you can convince, he says, I can't recant. I, I can't go and do that. Now, if this makes sense, and I hope it does, let me just pause. I want you to see what he's doing, and in this sense of holding to truth, it becomes the right way to do it. What is he saying? He's not saying that, hey, I'm, I'm right, and everybody else is wrong. Like, I know everything. Like, my understanding is the basis of truth, and, and, and I'm smarter. He's, he's not referring to his own self that way. He's saying, show me here if you can show me by the scriptures, then I'll change. It's not my understanding or my opinions that are authoritative in this moment. It's this book. And he meant it. He said, you know, if you can show me in the word of God, why you're right and I'm wrong, if you can show me that, then I would change because this is the authority, not me. He goes on to say, I consider myself convicted by the testimony of the Holy scripture, which is my basis. My conscience is captive to the word of God. Like, you know, this is the only thing that I I trust. I don't trust people. I don't trust opinions. I don't trust even leaders. It's like, show me here. And it's a beautiful, humble, I think, right picture where we're not saying, hey, I know everything. There's probably a lot of things that I even get wrong, but this is the basis of my truth. And I will live my life constantly seeking to adjust myself and say, this is the authority. Of life, This is the authority of what I have. And this, that's the place that I'm longing for us to be. And I love that Martin Luther just ended his kind of defense saying, here I can stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Like this is the only place I can be. This is the only place I can stand. And I'm calling you to that kind of stand in truth. Not again to an arrogant place where like you know everything, but to a place where you say there is truth. Truth is the word of God. Show me. Help me get it. And if that's what the Bible says, no matter what I believe, then I'll change. Because it's the Bible. It's the Word of God that is the basis of truth. Now, 100%, that's probably where we need to come. And maybe that would would give us what we need and where we're going. But we are talking practically. So there is a beginning where I just want to call you to esteem the Word of God. To say, okay, this is basis. Uh, This is true, and I need to understand it. Now, if you believe it, then what we need is to... in one sense, simply say, read it. Now, I mean this in the most practical and honest and simple way. I mean, if this is truth in our world, then, then we ought to be a people who read it. I think about what it tells us in the book of Amos. It says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Guess there's a famine's coming and it's not about food and about water, it's about people who hear the word of God. And I just want to tell you, and this is an opinion statement, so it's my opinion. Never in the history of the world has the word of God been more available than it is right now. Never. Never have there been more copies of the Word of God. Never has it been easier to get a copy of the scripture. On top of that, it's on the internet, everywhere. You got apps that have the entire, you know, just record of the scripture. Never in the history of mankind has the Bible been as accessible as it is right now. And yet I think in many ways, it's not read as much as it was in previous generations who had less access to it. Now, again, maybe you're different. Maybe you're one that is consistently reading the Bible good. Hear that as well. But I know this. I know that I'm speaking to some right now that you might even say, well, I believe the Bible's true, but you just don't ever make time for it. I mean, you never actually read it. I mean, it's not an actual part of your life where are saying, okay, if this world is confusing, then I need God's truth, and so one of the things I would desperately need is to make sure that this becomes a consistent source of insight, and I'm just telling you right now, for some of you, that just needs to change, a place where this book would become something that is your input of truth in your life. But let me take it further because it's not just reading it, it is thinking it through. It is allowing your thoughts to dwell in and dive deeply. Now, I think about that, and I'm drawing very specifically to a passage that some of you would recognize well. It's a well known verse verses in Joshua chapter 1. Joshua is a fascinating book, and again, in some ways for Bible students, it's kind of the Old Testament equivalent of the book of Ephesians. I mean, many people who look at it and say, you know, the Ephesians of the Old Testament is the book of Joshua, this place of being strong and carrying into and all that God has for us. There's a lot of really cool uh, just similarities in the midst of it. But even right here, we get it. I mean, right off the bat, he's telling us in Joshua 1 God is, you know, just kind of communicating through Moses to, to him. He says, only be strong, be very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. So Joshua is about ready to step into these new moments, and he says, here's what you need. You need to be strong. And what I'm warning you to hear is if you're paying attention, you're like, "Um, yeah, that's exactly what we just read in Ephesians 6, right? Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. It's the same thing that God is telling Joshua. He says, hey, you need to be strong. You need to be courageous. You need to enter into this. And he goes on to simply say, this book of the law, speaking of the Bible, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. It says, Joshua, you're about to enter into some new territory and you need God's strength. Like, you're going to need to be strong. And if you're going to have the strength, here's what you need to do. Be in the Bible. Day and night. Be in the Bible so so that you're diving into it in the morning and the night, that you're in the Word of God and you're meditating on it, which has the idea of thinking it through deeply. It's not the kind of Eastern meditation that the Bible would actually condemn, which is kind of a turning off of your brain and, and kind of emptying your thoughts. It's think hard. Think deeply. Dive into it. Think about what you're reading and allow that to permeate your life in a way that would affect your world. Now, I just want to tell you that became important for Joshua. That becomes important for us, especially as we're thinking about this idea of being strengthened in God, that we would allow that. And so let's just talk about this. So I already told you, I think we live in an in a, in a interesting and maybe horrible one sense of time in church history that the Bible's never been more accessible and probably read as a less percentage than ever before, where we have people who just aren't, aren't hungering for it. But maybe that's not you this morning. Maybe you're one that's like, you tell them. Like, just a moment, you're like, preach it, Pastor Jim. Tell them to read their Bibles. That's what they need to do. Good. But for those who read the Bibles, there's a good percentage of those that were in the first service, not you guys, so you guys are good, but um, there's a good percentage out of the first service that have made it like a check mark. Like, I read my chapter, I read my Bible, I did it. I I I I've read through it, but you're not actually like thinking about it. I mean, it's almost just a, you know some kind of religious exercise that you maybe faithfully do, and I hope so. But what God is telling Joshua is what I'm telling you is you need to think about it. You need you need to read it and then allow that truth to become something that you're like, wow, how does that work? And what does that look like? And how would that work in my world? And and to allow his truth to be something that you think through. And I'm telling you that because that's what brings success. In fact, he just goes on, he says, for then, if you will do that, you will make your way prosperous. Then you'll have good success. Like you need his strength. And the thing that would give you that victory would be this place of depending on him. Which, by the way, takes us to Joshua 1, 1 9, maybe one of the most famous verses in the book of Joshua. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What Joshua needed, we needed. This place where he's calling us to be strengthened, to be made strong by the word of God in our lives. And I'm just telling you, hey, that's what you need. Now, I could probably end right there and just say, hey, that's the good application. Just be in the word, be those who believe it and see it. But let me add two more pieces to it. One, just just that may be helpful. I think they're a part of this. But again, maybe the most actionable is what we've just read, that we would become those who believe the Bible and we read it and we think about it. And if you do that, you would find yourself armored up. You would find yourself protected against the lies that the devil throws. But if I can add a fourth, I would say also there becomes a place where you would be edified by good teaching. You would find yourself being instructed and and that getting a place where that's drawing you also to that space. Now, I want to just say this very carefully, but very honestly. That's everything I'm aiming for. That's kind of what we're doing right now. It's one of the things we believe that church exists for. I'm not here saying that we're doing that well. In fact, I will say it so strongly that if that's not what's happening for you here, go find another place where it's happening. Because what you need as a Christian is to find one who's helping you grow in God's truth. That's his design for what a church should look like. He would give it to us two chapters back in Ephesians 4, where he says, "...and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ." So this is this great section, and we're not going to dive into all those things, But we would say, hey, he's going to give you some that we would probably call church leaders, maybe from a biblical kind of picture, we would say church servants, who are coming alongside to serve the church, who are coming alongside to help the church be what it ought to be. He says, they're going to come, and they're going to edify the saints. They're going to strengthen them. They're going to build them up till we all come to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ which is a mouthful, but he says, here's what's happening. You should be growing, growing in, the, in, your, in your knowledge of the faith and your unity of the faith and your knowledge of Jesus, growing into be a, a more perfect man and woman of Christ to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You would be growing in God and his ways, and what that would do for you is, he says, that you would no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting which is so much of what we're trying to talk about here in chapter 6, right here. He says, if you have this, you won't find yourself being caught up in all the lies. You won't find yourself in all the deceptions, because truth will lock you down and will rescue you from cunning, just discrafted winds that blow back and forth. Instead, you would be growing, he says, that you'd speak to speaking the truth in love, may grow up unto all things to him who is the head, which is Christ. Wow. In some ways, that becomes... The target. He says, here's what's going to happen. If this works in you, you're going to become a person of the truth. You're going to speak the truth. And so, truth will become kind of a paramount thing in our lives, but it's worth noting. We would be speaking the truth in love. Maybe that kind of almost defines how we're really getting it. See, there are some that say they understand truth, but they're arrogant. And it's so unloving. You would sit there and say that just feels wrong. That's not what we're holding out this morning. We're not calling us to be, you know, you know, Bible brats. You know that like we know our Bible and we're just mean about it. We're calling say, hey, if we get it, we should be a people of the truth, and we speak it with such love. We we speak it with such love because it's a model of Christ, but it's truth and it's spoken by him, and it's spoken who we are. We are a people of the truth. We are growing in that, and that's what's supposed to be happening. If church is doing what it's supposed to be doing, he says that should be there, that part of why we come is to say, I need that. In a world that's confusing, I need truth. And so let me just kind of end that list of practical things and just say all of that draws us back to what we're saying is, I just want to tell you this is something you can have god is holding out to you here in ephesians chapter 6 not something that is a target like hey work hard really hard and someday if you try really really hard you can be there no he says in this world you can have this you can have this so that god's truth is that which is true And it's like, okay, there is right, there is wrong, there is, there is, this is the way it's meant to be, there is, these are things, and he says, if you have that, if God's truth is that in your life, it becomes a place of armor, it becomes a defense against the attacks of the enemy, and it is so desperately, Christian, what you need. It's what he's offering to us this morning, it's what he's telling us is available, it's what he's telling us is possible in everything that's there. So, let me come back to it and say it with a single verse and we'll kind of begin to close there. I've already shared it with you a couple times, but I just want to share it again. It's there in John 8. Jesus says it better than, there than maybe anywhere for us. He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He says, here's what I want for you. If you really want to live this Christian life out, like you want to be a follower of Jesus in this world, then be a person of the book. Be in his word. Abide in his word. And know it. Become one who says, I I know his truth. He says, here's what will happen. That will make you free. That truth will free you. It'll free you. And he goes on to talk about Satan being the father of lies and, and all that's there. But if you have his truth, then you're rescued from so much that would be so very confusing. Christian, today, I'm just telling you to be there. Now, maybe you're already there, and I'm just kind of reminding you of what gives you just a solid standing, but I'm telling you, it does. I'm just telling you, it does. There's strength in the Word of God that just makes it solid for us. So Christian, I'm calling you there. Before I close, though, I I do just need to quickly address, if you're not a Christian, You know, I know that. I know that for many of you, you gather here, you're followers of Jesus. And again, that's kind of one of the points of church. We're here to edify the saints and grow you up, and it's certainly true. But maybe you're here this morning, and you've come in. Maybe you're here with your family. Maybe you're watching online right now, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Actually, this is still the same thing. See, I think about it this way. In fact, I'll use these verses. When Paul was talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, he says it this way. You must continue And the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood. Again, just kind of quickly hiking in here. Timothy, a young man that Paul is speaking to, and he's telling him, Hey, Timothy, you've had someone invest the word of God in your life since you were a kid. And he talks about later in Timothy that it was his mom and his grandmother that gave him the truth. And that may not be true for all of you, but it's interesting it might be true for somebody right now. Like, this is not the first time you've heard the Bible. It's not the first time that you've heard, you know, maybe you did have a a godly mom or grandmother who shared with you his truth and, and laid down those things. But he says, hey, you need to stay in these things. Why? Because he says, you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise, for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. He says, here's what you've known. This book, it tells us, it makes us wise, it makes us knowledgeable, it helps us to understand, how do we get saved? I mean, how does someone escape the brokenness of this world? That's what this book tells us, which in its essence is through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Everything here is drawing us to say, there is a God, there is a heaven, there is a hell, We're sinners, and yet God so loved the world, he sent his son, that if anybody would believe, if you would believe in him, then you could be saved. That's what this book is, and so the authority of this book brings in a solid message of hope that isn't based in our church, it's not based in who I am, as one speaking it, but I can tell you from the authority of the word of God, if you don't know Jesus this morning, he's inviting you to him that God is drawing you to this, to a place that you would believe on Jesus, you would be rescued because that's why we need. We have a solid basis that gives us a solid hope in the midst of this world. So if that's you this morning, again, we're inviting you to him this morning. We'd love to talk to you more about that, love to kind of dive into it, but you can talk to us afterwards. So let's close there. Bible's closed. If you haven't already done that, notebooks, whatever it is you have open, we're just gonna take a moment now to pry. And it might be yours. This might be your moment that if you were that person I was just talking about and you don't know Jesus, and yet you recognize you've heard this, I mean, you've heard it for a long time, it's time to give your life to Jesus, that this book would show you a way to be saved, and we'd invite you in this moment just to surrender, to ask Jesus to be your Savior, and then we'd love to talk to you about it more afterwards. Leaving you in God's care, I want to speak to those of us who know him, and again, I don't know where you are. Maybe on the truth scale, you're doing really well. And if so, I just want to tell you, that's what makes you strong. You can, you can stand against Satan's lies because you believe his truth. And if you're close to that, then God, Godspeed, stay there. But I'm speaking to some that are in the midst of confusion, that you, you're, you're confused by the multitude of messages in our world and so many things. And it has you upside down in some ways. I'm inviting you to a place of saying, there is some, there's truth There is truth and it's found in the word of God and I'm just calling you to gird your life up by it. Read it, know the Bible. Let it hold you in these confusing times because if you do it, then you can stand. You can withstand all that Satan would throw against us. So would you take a quiet moment? I'll do the same. Would you talk to God about whatever that is, whichever space you're kind of found in, would you just take this moment and and just ask for God to meet you in it? And again, I'll do the same and we'll close together in worship in just a moment. Thank you. jesus i thank you that you indeed are the way the truth and the life i thank you for who you are and just recognizing all that that is and just your basis and lord we think about even now the hope that is found in this confusing world that you've given us truth i ask for what you spoke of jesus that we would really be followers of you, that we would really be just living the Christian life out to the full, that we would know your truth, that we'd abide in your word. And I pray that not only would be, that be our process, that would not only just be what we're about, but I pray for what you say it would do. You said your truth would free us. Your truth would free us from so many things that would lie to us, both about who we are and what's right and what's wrong, rescuing us from the lies that permeate our world. God, would you work that in us? Would you help us to know the truth and be made free by your truth? Thank you for what you would work in that. I ask that for us now and submit all that we are to you. We do so together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May God meet you in that. May he draw you to be a person of his truth. If you need to talk to someone after this, we'd love to do that, love to meet you and just talk to you about that. But right now we wanna close in worship. So why don't you stand? We're gonna close just celebrating what God has given us for his word, his truth, longing that God would meet us in it. As we long for that, let me bless you also right now in the name of God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And give you peace